It is my profound pleasure to announce that this episode of Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex podcast, is sponsored by David A. Pascarella of Staten Island, New York, who, on July 3rd, 2010, became engaged to be married to the very lovely Kathy Carbonero. Congratulations, David, and best wishes to your bride-to-be. I hope you both always experience joy and prosperity in your new lives together, and I'm very, very happy for the both of you. He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hello and welcome to Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke. This is an internet radio program devoted solely to the life and publishing history of the baddest, badass bounty hunter ever to roam the Old West, Jonah Woodson Hex. This is Episode 6, and I am Scott Gardner. And right off the bat, I have a couple new recommendations for you in the world of Jonah Hex. The first is from uh, Graphic Audio. They have adapted the DC Comics prose novel called Trail of Time, and they've done it as one of their deluxe audio presentations. If you've never heard one of these, basically what it is, you know, their tagline, their their motto, if you will, is a movie in your mind. And that really is what it sounds like. It's, it's almost like listening to a movie being acted out. It's uh, these full cast audio dramas and they're really really good well there's a new one out uh the adaptation of trail of time which is a novel that features uh jonah hex among many other characters like the phantom stranger etrigan the demon and superman so check that out and also uh look for in the future possibly uh hopefully soon i don't know exactly when we'll do this but uh michael bailey and i have both uh discussed doing this at some time he has just finished listening to it and he's the one that tipped me off about it i read the novel itself the actual uh, paperback uh it was quite a while ago now so it's kind of fuzzy but i'm gonna listen to this uh, audio drama kind of refresh myself on the story and then we'll probably be doing something related to it in the future probably an episode of back to the bins so uh I'll keep you up to date on details about that when it's uh, a little closer to actually happening. Also, real quick, the Jonah Hex No Way Back hardcover has finally been released. I got mine in the mail uh, about a week or so ago. Finally got a chance to sit down and read it. I'm trying to figure out when and where I might want to do some sort of full review of this book. But as I'm really trying to cover Jonah Hex in a timeline with this show. I'm not sure exactly where that would fit in. I'll just tell you, uh, 
I liked it. I thought it was very good. It was a little slow going in the beginning. And it was a strange mix of some things I really, really liked because they were very faithful to the roots and origins of the character. And then there were some other things where I felt like they played kind of fast and loose with the continuity of Jonah Hex. And I wasn't so crazy about that. But overall, it was really good. And listen out next episode for how you can get this hardcover at a substantial discount. Speaking of recommendations, you may recall last episode that uh, I threw out some recommendations for other comics, um, Marvel comics, that I felt were kind of in the Jonah Hex vein, you know, that were of the same style and quality as uh, the Jonah Hex adventures. Well, I felt like I kind of half-assed it, to be honest with you. I wasn't really able to bring the detail to that that I wanted to. So I went back, I did a little more research, and here's what I found out. That Rawhide Kid mini that I mentioned was from 1985, was written by Bill Mantlo and had interior art by Herb Trimpey. Now, Herb Trimpey, he's not one of my favorites. However, I think the story itself outweighs any shortcomings in the art, and there were a variety of inkers over the course of that four-issue mini, so some issues are stronger than others art-wise, but I still recommend it. I still think it was a good little series, although I never did read that last issue, so I don't know how it concluded. Blaze of Glory was released in 2000. It was a four-issue, I don't know if you call it prestige format, but it was of a format that was a little nicer than a standard comic format. It was traded in a, a trade paperback in 2002. It was written by John Ostrander with art by Leonardo Manco. And it featured Buffalo Bill Cody, Gunhawk, Caleb Hammer, Kid Cult, the Outlaw Kid, the Rawhide Kid, Red Wolf, the Two-Gun Kid, and many others. And then Apache Skies was sort of a sequel. It was also a four-issue miniseries, uh, again written by John Ostrander. That one came out in 2002, and it has been traded. Lastly, regarding the death count at the end of the last issue, I did go over to the Matching Dragoon site just to check how Dwayne Hendrickson had done his tallying on that issue. It turns out we did agree on the tally for Weird Western Tales number 13, but our tallies overall are already different, so we each have different criteria, I guess, of how exactly we credit a kill to Jonah Hex. But I just thought that might be worth mentioning. Definitely go over and check out that site. It's really good. Quick little story for you I just thought you might get a kick out of. You ever notice on the Yahoo main page, that little box that says trending now, and it's a bunch of keywords that are the hot searches of the moment news-wise? One just happened to catch my eye the other day that really jumped out at me. It was the number two or number three item on the list, and it was Roy Rogers. And this really threw me because I knew for a fact that Roy Rogers has been dead for a good number of years. Now, the reason I know this is when I got serious about collecting comics as a kid, and I'm not sure exactly what age I was, but I started to really peruse the newspapers and things like that to try to find people that had comic books for sale, especially large collections of comic books for sale. Now, this was way before the Internet or anything like that, so this is how you had to hunt for comics back in those days, kids. So I ended up finding this listing for this old lady that was selling a whole bunch of books. And for some reason, I was able to talk my mother into actually driving me out there. And it was quite a ways from where we lived. We lived in a a little town called Carthage, and this was in a town called Lafargeville, which was clear on the other side of Watertown. 
and a long drive, at least as I recall. So anyway, we got out there, and it was a bunch of old, musty books that I honestly didn't care about in the least, but I asked her if she might have some comic books. Sure enough, she says, hang on a minute. She goes upstairs to her attic, and she comes down with this box full of comics. Well, it turned out it was a bunch of old Western comics. There was a near-complete run of Roy Rogers comics and a lot of other stuff kind of scattered in there. There was a large collection of uh, Dale Evans comics. There was some Lone Ranger issues, that sort of thing. And even though it wasn't really my genre, just the fact that these were in beautiful condition, this lady had literally read them as a kid, put them in this box, and they'd been just sitting up there all this time. So they were in excellent condition. And my mother actually bought them for me. I think she paid like 80 bucks, which really, as I think about this story, really shocks me because my mother was never very crazy about my geeky habits. But this was one time that mom really came through and she bought me this box. I kept it for many, many years. But I only ever read a handful of anything that was in there. I liked having the collection, but just not my genre, so I never really checked it out. And I remember reading one or two issues of the actual Roy Rogers stuff and just being bored by it. It was the exact kind of Western stories that I don't like. You know, cattle rustlers and that sort of thing. And Roy wasn't a guy to go out and, you know, shoot down the bad guys. It always resolved in a Scooby-Doo kind of way in my mind. Anyway, when Roy passed, however long ago that was, I'm thinking it was at least ten years ago, I quickly dumped that collection. I didn't get quite as much out of it as I would have hoped to, but I did turn a nice tidy profit on it, especially considering I didn't pay for them. Anyway, that was a long-winded way of saying it really surprised me to see Roy Rogers on this list, so I had to click on it. Turns out that Trigger, or actually the stuffed remains of Trigger, was up for sale at some auction, I believe in New York City. I find this both really cool and extremely creepy at the same time. Anyway, I just thought you guys might get a kick out of that story. And of course, before we go into the main feature, let's cover our listener feedback. And first up this week, we have one entitled Old Jonah Hex. This one's from Luke Jaconetti. He says, Scott, hey man, Luke here. You might remember me as the guy who did a guest spot with you when y'all were talking about Star Trek The Motion Picture on Two True Freaks. Anyways, I wanted to give you some feedback on Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the second episode of which I just finished. And I want to break in here just to say, Luke, dude, of course I remember you. How's it going? I know we haven't uh, spoken much lately, but uh, yeah, absolutely I remember you. He continues, first off, let me say that this is a great idea for a podcast. Jonah Hex is a great character and one with a rich run of stories under his belt, and he deserves some care and attention. There's a reason why he is one of the most long-lasting Western comic book characters, and it's not just because of his trademark look. Did any other DC Western heroes have a longer run than Hex? Wyoming Kid, possibly, from back in the Golden Age? In any event, I had a big grin on my face as soon as I saw you were doing a new Hex podcast. I was wondering if you were going to cover Hex's appearances in DC's lexicon of cartoons in addition to the printed page. Jonah popped up in a late episode of Batman the Animated Series and has appeared in several guest spots on Batman the Brave and the Bold. Yes, I know you don't care for the show. Plus, who could forget his turn on Justice League Unlimited? Talking about that episode provides me with a great segue. Another one of the Western characters who is in that JLU episode is possibly the closest thing to a polar opposite Jonah Hex has, Bat Lash. 
where Hex is the harsh, brutal, scarred killer, Bartholomew Aloysius Lash was refined, easygoing, and a good-looking gentleman, despite the fact that winding up on the wrong side of either's gun was a fatal proposition. I am a fan of Lash and had considered possibly doing a blog about him in the past, but I want to take this chance to throw my proverbial hat in the ring and offer my services as a sidekick to talk about Batlash whenever he and Hex cross paths. Wink, wink. <laughs> Anyway, keep up the great work on the show, and I very much look forward to hearing more of the podcast. And that's from Luke Jaconetti. Um, let me go back and address a couple things. Uh, dude, you got me as far as if is there any uh, DC... You know, you specified DC Western characters that had a longer run than Hex. Um, now, going from Hex forward... Again, I'm no expert, but I don't think so. Off the top of my head, the only one I can think of that would come anywhere near Hex would be Scalp Hunter, and that's only from Weird Western Tales... Oh, this is going to test the brain muscle. 39 or 40 to the end of that series, which ended at 79 or something like that. Oh, I'll have to look that up later. But before Hex, you know, going back especially like to Golden Age stuff, I, I literally have no idea. I'm sure that there's somebody there that had a good long run. Just off the top of my head, I know that Dale Evans had quite a long run because I owned a lot of it at one time. Beyond that, I couldn't tell you. Outside of DC, I'm sure that there were other characters that had longer runs than Hex did. Um, just going strictly by numbers I've seen on things like, uh, I think like the Rawhide Kid and stuff like that. Some of those were in the hundreds. But again, just not my genre. As far as covering Hex's appearances on the animated stuff, absolutely, absolutely. But I'm really trying to stick with a timeline here. I really want to go as much in actual publishing order as possible trying to do like a hex timeline is really impossible because so many of his stories the vast majority of his stories are not dated as far as when they're taking place is what i mean so doing it that way is impossible so i pretty much have to do it if i want to have any sort of linear sequence then i'm going to do it as these stories were published and that includes the peripheral stuff like his appearances in other books and his appearances in other media so yeah i will do that stuff but it's gonna be a ways down the road as far as batlash i have to admit i'm not much of a fan of his but i don't dislike him either strangely enough i think my introduction to that character is actually when he's getting tossed out of a bar in whichever issue of crisis on infinite earths that is the second or third one i think i'm pretty sure that's where i first was introduced to that character He's okay. I mean, I, I don't have anything against him. He's just not one of my favorites. I'm a much bigger fan of Scalp Hunter. I like Scalp Hunter an awful lot. Uh, by the way, he and uh, Scalp Hunter do cross paths later on in Weird Western Tales. And, you know, if you're a fan of that character, absolutely, we'll talk. Uh, I would love to have somebody that's actually a fan of that character join me uh, to talk about those uh, crossovers, if you will. So, yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the feedback. Next up is Damian Crawford. How's it going, Damien? Damien's a great guy. I got to meet him uh, at the last Atlanta Comics convention that I, at least the last one I went to. I don't know if there's been one in the interim. I know there's one coming up. As I record this, there's one coming up next Sunday. I was originally kind of, sort of, half-ass thinking about going, but something has come up in addition to the fact that I'm flat broke, and going to a con broke just kind of sucks. 
But I kind of wanted to go just to hang out with my friends and uh, and meet up with anybody else that might be going. Damien, drop me a line. Let me know if you're actually going to go and, uh, and attend this, this next one that's coming up. Anyway, Damien writes uh, about Episode 4 and beyond. A strange thing happened after hearing Episode 3. I actually ordered a copy of The Showcase instead of contacting our friend Tor. Now, normally... I will consult Tor first to see what he has before going with the official means of getting things. Now, this is not a knock on your other shows or anything, just something about All-Star Western number 12 grabbed me and told me to buy the book. Anyway, with episode 4, I was able to read along because of the showcase I picked up. It was a different experience from just listening with no art. Your narration was spot on, almost did not need the book to follow along. But what makes the show is your comments about the stories and characters. Seeing the art while you cracked jokes or talked about the artistic value was nice. Weird Western number 13 was an okay story, but it did not have any bite to it. I did read ahead a little, 14, 16, and 17, have a little more punch to the stories, which is a nice thing because I don't think I could have gotten through the showcase if they were all like number 13. Might let my dad borrow the book once I am done since he likes the Western genre and might get a kick out of it. You know, that reminds me, I gave my dad... Somewhere along the line, I picked up several early issues of the current Jonah Hex series, the Palmiotti and Gray one. I want to say it was like the first three or six or something like that, and I gave them to him. And I'm, I'm, now you made me wonder if he ever actually got around to reading them. I'll have to ask him about that. I thought he'd get a kick out of it. He continues, a question though, do you know anything about those outlaw stories in the back of the showcase? Are they connected to Jonah or just something they shoved in the back of the book to fill it out? It takes up the last hundred pages? Wow. From dates they provide, uh, I think they shove stuff in. I'm sure you could tell me more. Um, no, not really. Now, I did look at this. After receiving this email, I had to go look because I wasn't sure what you were talking about. I'm pretty sure what you're getting there is you're getting the pre-Jonah Hex issues of All-Star Western. They kind of threw it in it like you, I guess you said at the back, right? Yeah, at the back of the book. I don't know. I'm, I have kind of mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, you're getting a whole bunch of, of neat um, quote-unquote bonus material, but at the same rate, you know, if you've picked the thing up for Jonah Hex, uh, I don't know about that. You know, I, I have to admit I, I'm i really torn on my opinion of that because I would, you know, I already own all that material. I own all the originals. So I, I've never even flipped through the showcase, although I'm told that the black and white is uh, really brings something to Dizaniga's art. I, I might have to look into that sometime. If I could score it on the cheap, even though, like I say, I have all the material, I, I might like to have it just to be able to look at that art in black and white and... and get a better appreciation of it because i love that stuff but i own one or two issues pre-jonah hex of all-star western and to me it's just it's standard western fare i read hex because it's not standard western fare so i really i don't have any interest in that stuff I, w- I would like to hear from other listeners if, if there's other listeners out there that have this showcase or you're, you're just picked it up or you're going to pick it up or whatever chime in about that i'd be really curious to, to know what people think of that quote-unquote bonus material that's not hex related also on the subject i was going to wait and, and cover this later on when we actually get to the issue but the cover on that showcase is actually from an issue of weird western tales i forget off the top of my head which one it is 
I don't think it's a particularly strong cover. At least I don't feel like it's representative or a good representation of the stories you'll find within because now I don't have the picture in front of me. I'm recalling it off the top of my head, but it's something like Jonas standing in profile. He's like lighting a cigarette or something. And these Indians are sneaking up out of the dark behind him. Now, somebody that knows absolutely nothing about Jonah Hex, I would assume would look at that and instantly think, oh, cowboys and Indians. Or, again, standard Western fare. That's not at all what Jonah Hex is. It's not what he represents. And as we come to them, I'm going to point out some of the covers that I think would have made much better covers for a collected edition of early Jonah Hex uh, adventures. I'm really curious what decision went behind choosing that particular cover for that book. He wraps up by saying, glad to see you are reaching people besides us bums that will listen to you even when you are reading a phone book. I don't know if that's a specific reference to an episode I have done, but all I can say to that Damien is been there, done that. <laughs> Lastly, we have one that slides just under the wire to get in on this episode. I received it just this morning, as a matter of fact. This one is from Stan Johnston, and it's entitled, Jonah Hex Walks Into a Bar with a Duck. (laughs) Stan says, Scott, thanks for the comic suggestions in Episode 5. I don't have the Rawhide Kid Mini or Blaze of Glory, but I do have the Apache Skies series. John Ostrander is a favorite of mine, and I normally pick up anything he writes, so I'm not sure how I missed Blaze of Glory. I will be on the lookout for those two, however. I have read the Brave and the Bold issue with Scalp Hunter, but I honestly don't remember when the last time was, although it's been long enough that I don't remember the story. That's probably a sign it's time for a revisit. It's too bad that Hex never made the pages of Brave and the Bold, because that could have been an awesome story. I completely agree. Just a comment on the email you read from Angela Orton. I'm totally jealous of her husband. In all the years I have known my wife, I have convinced her to read maybe a half dozen comics, and I'm pretty sure those were pity reads just to shut me up. (laughs) She does go with me to see all the comic book movies, and often likes some of them better than I do, probably because she can view them on her own merits rather than making comparisons to the source material. Anyway, I can't complain because she has never once fussed about my comics and she always goes with me to cons, but I imagine it must be awesome to be able to compare notes on comics with your spouse. I'm going to step out of your letter for a moment on that subject. My wife is um, very understanding, very supportive, um, very... I think tolerant is probably the best word to use, although, you know, don't misunderstand me. That that word also, I think, conjures a certain negative connotation, um, like, you know, she just puts up with it or something like that. But no, I, I think that there is a certain amount of tolerance when you're not a geeky person, you're not into geeky things, but your other half is. So on that angle, my wife is a saint. However... We've been married going on, it'll be 16 years this year, and I have yet to ever get her to pick up a comic book. I've tried. I've, I've handed her things I know she would like, just based on the, the movies she watches, the likes that she has, you know, TV shows, genres. She is an avid reader. She loves books. She reads all these mystery books all the time. So there's things that I have in my collection or I've actually sought out to try to get her interested in comics. Can't get her to crack the cover on one of them. 
in all honesty, I think it's I think she's very much one of those mainstreamers with kind of a negative view of comics that while I like to think she doesn't think I'm an idiot or something or that I have something wrong with my reading or comprehension skills. I mean, I'm perfectly capable of reading most anything. I just have my preferences. I prefer my comics and my Star Wars and Star Trek books and that sort of thing. So, like I say, I think tolerance is probably the best thing. But also, I try to have the relationship with her that I have with you know my friends as well, which is I won't push my stuff on you if you don't push your stuff on me. You know, she doesn't make me sit with her and watch all these shows that I find you know um, just mind-numbingly boring. And at the same rate, I don't push her to read things that, you know, if she's honestly not interested, then she's honestly not interested. I think that's the best relationship to have with anybody, whether it's your spouse or your friend or whoever. But yeah, Angela, we're all really jealous of your husband. Stan wraps up by saying, anyway, on to the episode proper. This was a meaty hex tale. If I hadn't checked, I would not have guessed it was only 14 pages long. Good job, once more, relating the story to the listener, and I really enjoy your personal asides and commentaries. All you need is a Foley artist, and you, you'd you have the perfect podcast. Looking forward to the next one, Stan. You know, it's funny you mention that thing on the on the Foley artist, because I've actually entertained the idea of adding more as far as... Uh, sound effects and that sort of thing to it but you know i'm afraid that if i start doing it a little then i'm going to want to start doing it a lot and to be perfectly honest with you the shows take long enough to produce as it is because of all the scoring and things like that it's a longer process than i think people are aware of to truly score and fully edit and really agonize over an episode of a podcast to get it to where you're happy with how it sounds. So I will add little quote unquote Foley artist moments in from time to time, like the part where the guy got chucked through the window a couple episodes back. I loved how that came out and people seem to really like it. However, I would love to go whole hog and have, you know, hooves of the horses running and the sound of hex walking down wooden sidewalks and things like that. For example, like on the beginning of that Trail of Time audio thing that I just started listening to. It's just amazing. I love that. But at the same rate, whew, the time involved, the time involved. And I'd rather the show stand on its own merits of having you listen to me tell you the story and try to be entertaining and come across that way rather than have a bunch of bells and whistles that might either detract from the enjoyment of this telling of the tale or that I might be accused of using as a crutch to fall back on to, to somehow cover any shortcomings I might have as a storyteller. So one way or the other, I don't know if that's a direction I really want to go, but boy, I have thought about it. I really have. But that's it for listener feedback for this time. Thank you to everyone who wrote in, and thanks to everyone who keeps sending me messages of encouragement and things like that. I really, really appreciate it. I am so glad that you guys are digging this show so much. And now, Weird Western Tales, number 14. This is the October-November 1972 issue. Original cover price is 20 cents. Hex shares the cover with no one for this particular issue. Cover is by Tony DiZaniga, and I like this one. It depicts 
Jonah Hex has been staked spread eagle in the desert. Each of his limbs is staked to a different stake. You've got this giant blazing sun in the background just beating down on Jonah. And this humongous snake, this uh, rattler, is all coiled up. And it looks like it's just about to strike and bite him in the side. And Hex is kind of staring down the snake. Now, I do have a quibble with this one, though. This is only the second time Jonah's full face, scarred side and all, is shown on the cover. And this is the first time in this specific title, Weird Western Tales. And he looks more like Two-Face or even Eclipso with the shading, you know, because half of his face is shaded, his scarred side is shaded purple. Then he does Jonah Hex. That's my only problem with this cover. It's a really good, a really dynamic cover, but I almost wish that the scarred side of his face was in shadow. Still, awesome cover. Really, really good one. Hex is the lead feature in this issue. Credits on this one are John Albano as writer, Tony DiZaniga, illustrator, and Joe Orlando is the editor. Very simple title bar on this one. Jonah Hex in Killers Die Alone. So we start off this tale and it's taking place at night and we see Jonah with his hat pulled down over his face and he's sleeping while Iron Jaws stands guard and General is tied up nearby. And it reads, Instinct had warned the beast of the menace that slithered silently through the darkened brush. Cautiously and with equal quiet, he had moved his furry hulk protectively between his sleeping master and the oncoming danger, then settled on his haunches to await the impending battle. An instant later, his adversary was in view, a rattler, the most dangerous animal on the North American continent. Is that true, by the way? We see this great panel of this rattler, very similar to the cover, all coiled up and he's ready to strike, and a great silhouette of Iron Jaws with his eyes blazing and his tongue is salivating and he's going, grrr. And then the next panel, we see him actually strike and he clamps onto the rattler in his jaws as Hex wakes up and we just see a, a word balloon with nothing but a question mark and an exclamation mark in it. Kind of like a, what the, huh? And it reads, matching his incredible swiftness with the blurry speed of his murderous enemy, the valiant wolf attacks, and a battle that can only end in death has begun. Now, Hex himself can only watch helplessly as his companion battles the snake, unable to get a shot off for fear of hitting Iron Jaws, but he does shout encouragement at the beast. Come on, boy, kill him. You can do it. Minutes later, the battle is over, and Iron Jaws is victorious, but at a price. Iron Jaws, you let that filthy devil sink his fangs into your stupid mangy hide, didn't you? And so an hour later, in town, a woman comes into the doctor's office and informs him that a man is here with a wounded wolf. What? he says. We see the very next panel. Hex is pushing past the woman and kicking the door fully open. And he says, you heard right, Doc. And the beast needs medical attention right quick. Medical attention? Why don't you just put a bullet through the beast's brain? And there's a man sitting in the doctor's chair that the doctor had been tending to, and he was uh, bandaging up the man's leg or maybe laying a cast on it. And the guy in the chair says, The man's loco, Doc. One of them animal lovers who ain't got the brains they were born with. And as Hex sets Iron Jaws down on the doctor's table, the doctor says, Under any circumstances, I'm busy attending a human patient, so... Just rest easy a few seconds, Iron Jaws. And Hex leaves the animal's side for just a moment to casually walk over and open the window to this second-story office. 
And then he chucks the human patient out of it to the street below, cast crutches and all. Now, Doc, about my wolf. I'll attend to him immediately. The man who got chucked out of the window isn't dead, however, and he ambles over to the saloon to get word to the butcher and his brother about Jonah Hex. Now, this butcher guy is referred to throughout this issue as the butcher, or simply butcher, and also butch. So it's a little unclear if this is this guy's nickname or an occupational name or anything. He doesn't look like a traditional apron-wearing meat butcher to me. And in the movie The Legend of the Lone Ranger, it was established that Butch Cavendish had the name Butch because it was short for Butcher, as in he utilized brutal methods. So I'm kind of taking it that way with this guy too. But anyway, the man tells the Butcher that he didn't recognize Jonah at first and that he's lucky to have escaped with his life. And he's right. So minutes later, the butcher and his brother Dan are outside the doctor's office. And Dan says, Why try to capture him, Butch? It's a lot easier to just gun him down as he comes out. And Butch says, Shut your yellow mouth, Dan. We're going to do this my way. Inside the doctor's office, the doctor is talking to Hex. I've done everything I could for your animal, mister. All that remains now is for him to get plenty of rest. You see to it that he does, Doc, and I'll pay you well. And as Hex exits the doctor's office, the two men clout the hell out of him. We get a word sound effect that says, Walk! And it looks like they are just really clobbering him. It looks like they probably ought to just cave his head in. They hit him so hard. So hours later, outside of town, Jonah revives. He is stripped shirtless, tied up, and bleeding from many lacerations. Dan shouts to his brother, Hey, butcher, he's coming too! First we hit him on the head hard enough to crack a buffalo skull, then we drag him on his back through miles of brush. And Butch takes over saying, And yet he looks like he's got plenty of fight left in him, huh, Dan? That's because Jonah is tough. Real tough. A professional killer has to be. And Jonah's the best, Dan. He kills in the morning, kills in the afternoon, kills in the darkness of night. Uh, what time of day was it you gunned down our brother, Hex? About noon, I believe. On account of I ate such a big meal afterwards. You ate a big lunch after? I always treat myself to a thick steak after shooting a skunk that shoots a marshal in the back. And Butch loses his temper and smashes Hex in the face with the butt of his gun. And Dan brandishes his weapon saying, Let me put one in his ugly head, Butch. No, I've got something better in mind for this monstrosity. So Butch unties the end of the rope that was holding Hex tied to the tree. And he says, Get the end of that rope and tie it to my saddle, Dan. So sometime later, we see them on horseback leading Hex as he walks through the desert, practically dragged. Dan says, You're going to leave him out here in the desert without finishing him off? That's the trouble with you, brother. You haven't any imagination. So the next panel shows Jonah just like he is on the cover where he's been staked out in the desert spread eagle with his shirt off. Dan says, Ha ha ha, now I understand. You're going to let the sun fry his carcass. Until there's nothing left but his bleached white bones. They get back on their horses and Dan says, Woo! He'll be screaming his lungs out for water within an hour, Butch. Ain't anybody gonna hear him, though. Out here in the desert, you're really alone. And as they ride off, we see Dan say, That's been your biggest fear since we were kids, right, Butch? Being totally alone when you check out? Shut up, Dan. I don't want to discuss it. Now let's ride. And can you say foreshadowing kids? Soon after, while Jonah attempts to steel himself against the agonizing pain and thirst that is certain to follow, 
a tiny speck appears on the horizon. Slowly it wobbles forward until its form becomes larger. Then finally, it can be distinguished as Iron Jaws. We see Iron Jaws literally dragging himself across the desert floor to get to Jonah. And once he reaches Jonah's side, he starts to gnaw at the ropes holding Jonah's right hand. And Jonah says, You, you dumb mangy-looking desert tramp, skedaddle out of that doctor's place and track me all the way out here, did you? And the hand free, Hex rises up and starts to untie his left hand. And you had to drag yourself every inch of that way on account of not having the use of your hind legs. Bet you expect me to thank you or something, huh? And his hands untied, Hex starts to untie his feet. Well, I'm not, you hear? Iron Jaws? You hear me, boy? And when he doesn't get any response from the creature, Hex turns to him, and in the very next panel, we see him cradling Iron Jaws in his arms, and he says, What in damnation? He's dead. So sometime later, we see Hex piling rocks as a makeshift grave for his companion, and he says, Fool animal, must have suffered the agonies of hell coming out here to save me. Finished, Jonah turns and storms back off into the desert, saying, Gonna miss that scraggy devil. Blazes, I never felt more in a mood for killing than I do now. And so presently, back at the doctor's office, one pissed-off and maniacal-looking Jonah Hex storms in and grabs the doc by the throat. You! I couldn't stop him, mister! Your wolf just... Ah, never mind that, doc. I just want a little water, and then I want some clothes and a gun from you. The general store is way over the other side of town, and I'm in a hurry. Uh, those wounds. And you've been badly overexposed to the sun. You're in no condition to travel, mister. Got business with two men that can't wait, doc. If you mean those two lawbreakers that attacked you, they've left town. But not before holding up the express office and killing the station master. Keeping themselves real busy, huh? We see Hex, and he's dressed again. He's got a shirt and a new hat. And he's cocking back the hammer on a gun that he's holding, and he says, I'll be back and pay you what I owe you. And on the last panel of this page, we see Hex storming off down the uh, wooden sidewalk as the doctor and this woman, I don't know if she's supposed to be just his nurse or his wife or what, but she says, That man, Jim, he, he looks so tormented. And the doctor says, Yes, but God help his tormentors. So the following evening, we see the butcher and Dan, and they're all duded up and carrying these satchel cases. Dan says, you think we'll be recognized by anyone on the stage, Butcher? Not a chance. We rode all night to make it into this town, didn't we? And in these fancy clothes we changed into, we've become salesmen. Remember that. Right. We've been selling farm equipment, and now we're headed back east. So later we see them, and they've boarded the stagecoach, and the stagecoach is making its way around what looks like a, a mesa or a mountain or something. It's a really nice night scene. And Butcher says, In a few days we'll be in the big city, Dan. Dan says... Spending all that money we robbed from the express office. The next panel shows the uh, stagecoach driver, and he's got kind of a surprised expression on his face. He looks really funny. He looks like Abraham Lincoln wearing Smokey the Bear's hat. It's actually really funny. And the guy says, What's that up ahead? And the guy sitting next to him, I don't know what this guy's function is supposed to be. It almost looks like he's wearing a lawman's uh, star on his jacket, but it's a little bit hard to make out. But he says, Looks like a tree lying right smack in the center of the road. The guys get out to investigate, and the stagecoach driver says, Must have been struck down by a bolt of lightning. But the other guy says, Not this tree. Somebody used an axe and chopped it down and made sure it fell right in our path. And the stagecoach driver happens to catch sight of something, and he says, Willie, look, in those bushes. Just look, the man said, Willie, nothing else. Now drop that rifle, real easy-like. My business isn't with you. So on the next page, we see Dan and the butcher 
they've gotten to the stagecoach and they look like they're trying to get away. And Dan's looking back at the scene with the stagecoach driver and his lookout, and he says, But Butch, that voice, but it, it, it couldn't be him. It's all right. That madman has more lives than a cat, and I'm not anxious to meet him when he's got a gun in his hand. Come on. This way, behind those trees. And out of nowhere, we see this shot hit Dan. It almost looks like he's been shot in the back, but it may actually be his side. But it's just kind of funny because I don't think of Hex as the kind of guy to shoot a man in the back. But one way or the other, he says, Butch, I'm hit. Help me. And we see him. He's leaning against this tree, and he slowly slumps to the ground. Butch, he's got a terrified look on his face. He's sweating profusely. He says, Are you loco? He's just waiting for me to show myself, and I'm not about to fall into that trap gotta find some place that inhuman devil won't find me we see butch and he's kind of fleeing blindly through the trees and through the forest and suddenly he runs out into this clearing he says what nothing but desert in this direction yet if i try to circle back only chance is to try to make it to those mountains next panel is really beautiful we see that he's run quite a way across this wide open space and way off in the distance hex is pursuing him on horseback Butch thinks to himself, Blast it, is there no way to lose that ugly freak? Look at him, right on my heels, but just out of my firing range. So soon after that, we see Butch and he's headed through this valley and it's a great down angle shot. And he's thinking to himself, I've made it, I've made it. Now let that ornery killer try and... And as he's thinking that, this drooling, slobbering mountain lion is looking down at him like he's a tasty piece of meat. And suddenly the cat attacks, and there's a nice panel of Butch whirling at the sound of the cat attacking him. He's going, what the? And it looks like he's trying to draw his weapon. We cut to Jonah, and Jonah hears six shots in rapid succession. So Jonah comes up on Butch lying on the ground. We see the mountain lion dead at his feet. He dismounts. Butch is laying on his back, and he says, all right, Jonah, my gun's empty. You've won. I'm your prisoner. Only that mountain lion chewed up my leg before I could finish him so you've got to get me to a doctor first it's a four hour ride back to town skunk and you'll be a corpse long before that what What are you talking about I'm not hurt so bad that's so then take a look at the froth around that cat's mouth what bit you he had rabies and Butch has an absolutely horrified expression on his face as he looks at the cat and sure enough there's this frothy white foam all around his muzzle Hex turns to get back onto his horse to ride away, but Butch tries to stand and pleads with Jonah. He says, Jonah, wait, please. Stay with me, I beg of you. I'm not afraid of dying, only not alone, please. I'm not going to leave you alone, Butcher. And then we see what Hex actually went back to his horse for, and he throws Dan down on top of the Butcher, saying, You're going to have your brother for company. Try talking to him for a while. Looking back at Butcher with his brother's body laying on top of him, Hex spurs his horse saying, Giddy up, boy. I'm getting hungry for a nice, juicy steak. Hex rides off. As in the background, Butcher whimpers, Hex! Hex, don't leave me! And that's the end. I like this story. I like this story a lot. I like it a lot better than last issue's story, that's for sure couple key things happen in this one probably the biggest one and the most important one is the death of iron jaws i'm always surprised by the effect that this has on me when i look back at this issue and it turned out that down the road in the letters pages we'll see it had an effect on the other readers of the time as well plus although i can't recall hex ever really mentioning it past this issue i like to think that it had an effect on jonah too it definitely had an effect on the book itself 
I knew this was coming because I, of course, had read this story before, but I didn't realize it happened so soon after Hex had just acquired Iron Jaws after Little Fawn died. I actually thought Iron Jaws was around in this title for a while. So I was really sad to reread this and see that, no, he really wasn't there for very long. I think they should have stretched this out a little bit longer with Iron Jaws being Jonah's companion. But I'm sad to see him go. I like the idea of Jonah and... I was going to say his dog. It's not really a dog. It's a wolf. But you get the idea. I wish they had played with that a little bit longer. It's subtle and it's real easy to miss, but this is the issue where Jonah gets his new hat that he would wear for a while. I like to refer to this as his ugly hat. I really don't like this hat at all. Here's a visual for you of what it looks like if you haven't ever seen it. It is literally, it's a black hat. It's not a cowboy style hat. Rather, it's just circular, flat on top, and it has a band around it that's zebra striped, But instead of being white with black zebra stripes, it's yellow with black zebra stripes. The hat's supposed to be black, but of course, this being comic books, the black is often shaded in with blue, so it almost looks like a blue hat. Hex is going to wear this for the next little while, but eventually, of course, he would go back to his trademarked Confederate officer hat. I like that a lot better. I don't know if this was a Clint Eastwood thing or exactly the origins of this hat, but I just was never really all that crazy about it. It reminds me, actually, a lot of Billy Jack's hat, although it's that's a completely different style of hat. I liked this character of Butch, and I liked his similarities to Butch Cavendish, who also fought for the Union. Now that I think about it, I don't know if I mentioned that in the beginning as I was recapping this, but... The Butch in this story also wore a Union officer's uniform. That turned out not to really have anything to do with the story, but I do feel it's worth pointing out. I think it's kind of too bad that this Butch dies at the end of the story. Or does he? I think he could have made an interesting recurring foil or just someone to come back and challenge Hex at some later date. I guess I'm thinking something like the cliched comic book opposite number type of thing, but then again, this Butch character, he doesn't seem to have what it takes to be Hex's opposite number, but he's still an interesting character nonetheless. Once again, absolutely love the art in this issue, and I noticed that at this point, Dizaniga has all but given up hiding Hex's face anymore. It's really not hidden much at all in this issue, so maybe he felt that that gag was wearing thin. I also feel it's worth reiterating in the injuries sustained category, the double clout to the head. I mean, it really looks like it could potentially kill him. Plus, he's dragged on his back through miles of brush, and then not only was he walked out into the middle of the desert, but then he walks back on his own. So like the doctor said, overexposure to the sun. Yeah, big time. This particular story is reprinted or collected in a couple of places. First one being Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales, number three from 1979. Also in the Jonah Hex Welcome to Paradise 2010 trade paperback. And of course, Showcase presents Jonah Hex trade paperback volume one from 2005. There were a couple of other features in this book, but I have to fess up that uh, I didn't really reread them. They were just a couple of one-off stories. A three-pager called The Replacement which was written by this issue's Jonah Hex scripter, John Albano, with art by Sonny Trinidad. Also a story called Anachronism by Don... Is it Carr or Care? It's K-A-A-R. I'm not familiar with that name. With art by Alex Toth, whom I have never liked. But it's interesting. It has a very Twilight Zone-ish ending. There was a great episode of the original Twilight Zone that starred Cliff Robertson as this pioneer man whose child got sick 
So he went to, I don't know, look for water, I think, and he ends up walking over this ridge and walking right into the 20th century. It was a great little story. Also reminded me of the very first episode of Amazing Stories, which was called Alamo Job, where this young boy named Job was fighting at the Battle of the Alamo and somehow walks out or is blown out or something of the Alamo and finds himself in, at the time, modern-day San Antonio. And that was a really interesting story. This story has a similar thing of that of, a, of an old cowboy from his own time suddenly thrust into the 20th century. It was an interesting little tale. I just didn't like the art. In the ads department for this issue, there is one house ad that I thought was really neat. It takes up a full page. Top half of it says, They're here, the funniest team of laugh-getters in the world, Laurel and Hardy. 160 pages of rollicking merriment, only 50 cents. Don't miss it. I must say, I've never run across any issues of Laurel and Hardy by DC Comics. I thought this was interesting, though. I have no idea who worked on it or if it was any good or what, but if I ever chance across it on the cheap, I might actually pick it up. I always kind of got a kick out of Laurel and Hardy. Bottom half says... The original ape man shouts a challenge which is answered by danger, excitement, adventure in this big book of Tarzan. 160 pages, 50 cents. And you know, I'm not the biggest Joe Kubert fan in the world either, but I really like the cover on this one. It shows Tarzan in this weird attack pose, almost like a full Nelson except that he's doing it to the front of the gorilla instead of behind its back. But it's pretty cool. Again, never read any of that stuff either, but if I ever a chance to cross it, I might check it out. I always thought Tarzan was kind of interesting. The letters page for this issue, by the way, the letters column for this title is called Trail Talk, and I'm afraid I failed to note what issue Trail Talk started in. Sorry about that, but there are some good letters in this one. Just want to read a couple interesting passages from the letters here. There's one by James McCoy Jr. that says, The Jonah Hex story promised to a princess was very good. John Albano is an excellent writer. His characterization of Hex is great. Hex isn't a bad guy, but he's not a good guy either. Tony DiZaniga is one of the best artists around. His art on Jonah Hex was better than excellent. There's another one here by an Ed Limebacker, I think the name is. He also comments on Promise to a Princess. He says, And Promise to a Princess is the strongest, most moving Western story I have ever read, bar none. If John Albano hasn't read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, he sure has done his homework. The white man has very little to be proud of his treatment of other races, and the indictments continue to mount. My congratulations to Albano, Dizaniga, and you, meaning uh, Joe Orlando, the editor. Another one by David Dash says, Albano's promise to a princess probes deeper into the character of Jonah Hex, a ruthless man not incapable of compassion and yet ready to exact a revenge according to the code of violence he lives by. I'm glad you're avoiding the cliché, guess I'm just an old softie at heart ploy. Hex is no softie, not even on missions of mercy. He's all business, always consistent with his nature. Tony DiZaniga's art, highlighted by the human rubble scene, seemed very germane to the plot. I love this one by David Callis. He writes, I've been reading comic books for many years, and besides the everyday superhero tales, there is nothing I've ever enjoyed more than a good Western, especially if they slide a little bit towards the supernatural. Jonah Hex is more of a human interest strip than supernatural. It's the exploration of a deformed man who is shunned by his fellows because of his deformity. The character has been handled by a good, no, great writer artist team. I have read all of the Jonah Hex stories John Albano has written, 
and if I ever see one that is bad, it will be the first time. They've all been great. I've admired Tony D. Zuniga's work ever since I first saw it on The Phantom Stranger and one of the Outlaw stories. Keep up the great work. The last one is from Joseph Portal, a professor. And it says, The Jonah Hex story and Weird Western Tales for July and the previous issue both had a definite message for its readers. That is, what is in the heart of a man? Forget the face and look at his other qualifications. Also, what is there in the face that appeals to one? Is there a sadness, a longing for the comfort of a close comrade? In the next story or so, could you perhaps bring about the meeting between this poor Jonah and another rather likable and personable man? It might be of interest to you that I have used your comics in my work, in high schools and colleges, in both humanities and art, lecturing during the past 11 years in Oregon, Florida, and Mexico. That's pretty high praise for back at this point. And that about brings us to the end of Weird Western Tales number 14. And you know what that means. It's time for the death count. It's actually kind of low this time around. We have one shot, seemingly in the back, although it could be argued it's in the side as well, and one allowed to die. So that's two for this issue. Only two. Death count tally overall. For all the issues we've covered so far, we have two already dead, 17 shot, one stabbed, two allowed to die, one chased off a cliff, and one outdrawn. That's a total of 24 men killed by Jonah Hex so far. Next time, Weird Western Tales, issues number 15 and 16. For the Jonah Hex Podcast, I'm Scott Gardner. Thank you very much very much for listening. Feedback for this program can be sent to jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke The Jonah Hex Podcast is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demonza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Did you know... You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, 
President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hi, my name is Paul Spataro. Back in 2004, my family lost my older brother, Michael, to pancreatic cancer. Before Michael was diagnosed with this disease, I really didn't know too much about it. But the truth of the matter is, it's a devastating disease, and in general, once somebody is diagnosed with it, it's too late to actually help them. I've learned that pancreatic cancer is the nation's fourth leading cause of cancer death and that the survival rate for the disease has not improved in 25 years. I also learned about the Lustgarden Foundation. That's a foundation that's named after a man named Mark Lustgarden. Mr. Lustgarden was a high-ranking executive in the company of Cablevision and when he was diagnosed with the disease... Despite the fact that he was a wealthy man, there was nothing that could be done, and unfortunately, he passed away from the disease as well. Moved by that loss, Cablevision has started a foundation in his honor, and they've generously underwritten all expenses of that foundation so that any fundraising efforts can be used strictly towards research of pancreatic cancer. I learned of the Garden Foundation shortly after my brother passed away, And I started that year walking in its Long Island fundraiser walk. And I've walked every year since. This year the walk is going to be on July 25th. I will be walking along with my wife, my son, my daughter, my mother, my sister, and other family members. We walk as Team Spataro in an effort to raise funds, raise awareness, and to honor my brother. I hope you would consider donating to this worthwhile cause. There will be a link to our team page on this podcast's homepage. Please consider clicking on that link and donating. And keep in mind, no amount is too small. There will be people who donated very, very generously, but don't be swayed by that. Any amount will help and brings us that much closer to a cure. Nobody should have to suffer the way my brother did, and I hope that one day, through the efforts of the Lust Garden Foundation, all such suffering can be ended. I thank you for your consideration. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider, which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers, and had, in effect, become... A human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, 
does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches seeds just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, the Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn.com Life is a great big hang-up Wherever there's a hang-up You'll find a Spider-Man Hey there, Thomas Maddox here Host of Thomas's Prerogative over at the Shaft Podcast I'm here to announce the Shaft Podcast Fun, exciting events that we're bringing to the Metrocon convention What's Metrocon, you may ask? Well, Metrocon is the largest anime convention in Florida and the Shaft Podcast is proud to bring four exciting panels that we will be bringing to Metrocon, hosted by yours truly. Now, what are these panels? Well, let me tell you. First, on Friday at 5 p.m. in Room 19, you have Evolution in American Anime, where I will explain to you how American animation had a hand in the creation of anime, and how anime now in turn is coming into American animation. The next panel will be later that night at Room 13 14 special event called Anime Theater Live. We'll take a movie riff on it. That's right. You a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000 or Riff Tracks? This is the event for you because we will be riffing on a movie. And you know you know what? If you say a good line that makes everybody laugh, we will give you a prize. Be anything from an anime DVD to manga to many other prizes we'll have with us. Our next event will take the very next day on Saturday in room 18, it will be Thomas's Prerogative Live. Yes, I will be giving my unbiased opinion upon the state of the anime industry. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to be pretty. And then finally on Sunday, we will have another presentation, Anime and New Media. If you want to know where you can find your very favorite anime on the internet, or try to find where you can unite with fans on the internet as well, we'll tell you how to get there. So come down to Metricon from July 23rd to July 25th and join us in our four exciting panels that the Shaft Podcast presents. You can find Metricon by going to www.metroconventions.com and you can also find the Shaft Podcast by going to www.animeshaft.com. So, until July, folks, peace. Hello, ladies. Listen to your man. Now listen to me. Now listen to your man. Now listen to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped downloading lame-ass podcasts and switched to Two True Freaks, he could learn to sound like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on the Enterprise with the man your man could sound like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a long box filled with comics that you love. Look again. The comics are now episodes. Anything is possible when your man listens to Two True Freaks and not lame-asses. I'm on a tauntaun. (laughs) 